This episode of Local Knowledge is brought to you by OSL, the trusted digital asset platform leading the regulated institutional evolution of the digital asset market. For more information, please head to osl.com. I spoke with the soon-to-be owner of Aspen Lakes. It will be the world's first golf resort based on NFT memberships. What's better than a country club membership? Owning the goddamn course. That's what NFTs have allowed me to do. The future, in my opinion, NFTs are really going to shake things up in the world of golf. When this idea of a podcast on NFTs and golf was proposed to me, my initial thought was, first of all, I don't know anything. Second of all, how is this relevant or applicable to golf? I'd heard a few things. Okay, I knew Phil Mickelson when he was fighting with the tour about media rights before all the live stuff broke out. NFTs were kind of tied into that. But beyond that, I mean, this is a digital concept. This is an internet concept. Golf is a game played by people on grass in the real world. What's the connection? Well, it turns out there's a few ways they connect. Some of them may be pretty important, but I didn't know that going in. I could tell right away we were going to have to start with the basics and work our way up to golf. And all of this is a way of me saying, bear with me for a little bit. I promise this is getting to golf. It's getting to sports, but the subject demands a foundation And that foundation is understanding what we're talking about when we talk about NFTs. Now, it wasn't that I knew nothing about NFTs, but what I did know was very limited, mostly either stereotypes, I guess you'd say, or even some jokes. Was it a scam? I had heard that more than once. I knew it had something to do with artwork, maybe music or videos. I knew about the apes. If you haven't seen the apes, the bored apes, they are these digital paintings or graphics that are generated by a computer and form a kind of art collection. It was treated like a kind of punchline. There was a clip that made the rounds from Jimmy Fallon's show when he had Paris Hilton as a guest, and they were talking about the apes, and it was a little bit excruciating, to be honest. Listen to a little bit of it, and I think you'll pick up sort of how awkward it was, how it feels like you're being sold something. Mm-hmm. This is your, this is your ape. Yeah. We debuted. It's really cool. Like the hat, the shades. And what, how did you pick? Because you can pick your, your, your ape. Yes, I was going through a lot of them, and I was like, I want something that like kind of reminds me of me, but I, I, this one, it's it does. I think we, we made like... Now, it turns out that the monkeys are kind of the scourge of people who take this stuff seriously because they know how it distorts people's views of the utility of NFTs, people like me, but we'll get to that. The other thing I knew going in is that NFTs were tied into cryptocurrency, And I had invested in crypto. I made a very tiny amount of money at one point a few years ago when it seemed like any fool could do what I did. It was just going up and up and up for a while, seemingly tied to nothing or nothing that I could understand. It's not going up anymore. But the point is, I wasn't totally ignorant about concepts like the blockchain. But none of that gave me a better understanding of what an NFT actually was. So if you're in the same place, if the concept is mysterious to you, we are in the same boat. I said, what the hell? Son, I didn't understand a word you just said. Hey, thanks. Despite the confusion, though, and it's easy to get confused, I actually do think this stuff is pretty interesting. 
Digital currency in general is the kind of concept that could go bust tomorrow, and you wouldn't really be surprised. But it could also be a major part of the economic future for all humanity, and that wouldn't be surprising either. So, the mission today is not just to crack the code and figure out, again, what an NFT actually is, but to explore how it's already become kind of a big thing in the world of sports. How it's moving into the PGA Tour in ways that may change how fans interact with sport, and how it has some surprising uses in golf, like, for example, crowdfunding the purchase of an actual course. And all of this is happening not in some distant future, but right now. Look, your mileage may vary here, but I can tell you that this is the kind of thing where the more I learned about it, the more I wanted to learn, and the more I reached the conclusion that whatever you end up thinking about this, whether you're a cynic or a true believer, this is not the kind of thing that's going away. I'm Shane Ryan, this is Local Knowledge, and first things first, of course, we have to figure out what an NFT is. First off, what does it stand for? That one's easy, you can get that on the Wikipedia page. An NFT is a non-fungible token. The word fungible, in this economic sense of the word, just means interchangeable. The way a $10 bill is interchangeable with two $5 bills, or a five and five ones, you get the idea. Better example, and one you hear a lot, might be a bar of gold. The bar of gold is fungible because it is worth a certain amount of money. You can exchange it for other currencies like the dollar or the euro. But what about if tomorrow we discovered a golden statue made by Leonardo da Vinci of, I don't know, the goddess Aphrodite? Now, you could measure the value of the gold in the statue by current markets, but because this is a work of art by a famous person, obviously its value is going to go beyond the mere gold. And this makes it non-fungible. It's a product that has its own intrinsic worth, separate from whatever price we assign to the raw materials. That's non-fungible. Cannot be interchanged, cannot be duplicated. Now, let's look at cryptocurrency. One Bitcoin right now, as I produce this podcast, is worth just over 19,000 US dollars, just over 17,000 pounds sterling, and it's worth 14.8 Ethereum, which is another cryptocurrency. That's fungible, right? We can define it via other currencies. If we want, we can change it for those other currencies. An NFT, on the other hand, it's digital in the same way. It has a value, but that value is not tied to whatever code composes it. It's not like Bitcoin. It's tied to the intrinsic value of whatever the heck it is, and that value is determined by its quality, by its desirability, like our theoretical gold statue by da Vinci. Hence, not interchangeable, non-fungible token NFT. So, we know a little bit about the terminology now, but in terms of the substance... Again, we hit that question. What is it? I needed some help on this one. My friend Jake Weinling came immediately to mind. We worked together a few years ago. I knew he was a big crypto guy. He's the one who got me to invest after some badgering. And unlike me, he made a lot of money from trading Bitcoin and Ethereum and those kind of currencies. And he also happens to be very good at explaining it. He's also an obsessive golfer. He just went 4-0 in our buddy's Ryder Cup tournament for the other team, which was very annoying. So... I immediately thought of him because if anybody could get this through my thick head, it was Jake. So the easiest way to think about an NFT is it's just a digital programmable container. Um, you know, every every 20 year old has had those like clear, you know, crates underneath their bed from uh, from crate and barrel. And, you know, you don't define those crates by what you put in them. They're just crates. And so it's the the same thing with with an NFT is that it is just it 
it's a digital thing that is designed to hold whatever you want, some type of a file, audio file, video file, whatever it is. And the NFT is the technology surrounding it, not necessarily what is inside of the NFT. That's an important point Jake is making. A lot of times when we say NFT, we think it's the same thing as the product itself, but it's not. It's the delivery mechanism, the digital box that it comes in. It's also, to use a term from the world of sports memorabilia, a certificate of authenticity. And a big advantage of NFTs in that sense is that it's much harder to fake. Anybody can draw up a fake piece of paper saying, you own the football, Eli Manning threw to Plaxico Burris to win the Super Bowl. The NFT code is intricately tied in with the item, so it's not the same as that. It's harder. It's harder to fake. That said, the difference between a real-life item like that football and a digital item is you can't actually hold a digital item. If you own a painting by Claude Monet, you can hang that painting in your home, and you can look at it every day, and nobody else can look at it unless you let them. But if you own an NFT of that Monet painting, well, what do you actually have? Even if it's official in the sense that it's licensed to you by, you know, the Claude Monet estate or whoever, it's an image that can be reproduced or shared by basically anyone. Or let's say that it's not Monet. Let's say it's a digital artist who designs something and the quote-unquote ownership of that piece is passed on to you for a price. Again, what you own is a piece of code saying you own this thing and not much else. Same is true in the world of sports. If you buy a photo or a highlight video as an NFT, well, guess what? Everyone else can still go watch that highlight video on YouTube or look at the photo online. It's not like you have exclusive access the way you would with that Monet painting or that Eli Manning football. Which brings us to an obvious question. Why would anybody pay money for this, whether it's for a golf collectible or anything else? And I thought Jake, once again, had a nice analogy here. So... The easiest way to figure out why people pay so much money for NFTs that seemingly have no value, um, you know, other than being like an ugly monkey picture is, you know, it's a similar thing with Rolexes. You don't buy a Rolex because it's better at telling time than other watches. You buy a Rolex because it's a Rolex and it's a status symbol. If you're wearing it, you know, you wear it to your country club and people say, oh, that guy's wearing a Rolex. He must be important. He must have money. What you're doing is you're signaling to, you know, your your in-group or your out-group, how supposedly important you are. And as we move more of our lives online, it's, you know, same same concept that these communities value these pictures that have gained a Rolex, you know, type of status. It's just, you know, a monkey picture instead of a watch. But it's the same concept that you're just trying to purchase status within a community. And it might not just be for status. It might be because you love a particular artist or a team and you want to own things associated with them, get close to them. And that's not so different from collecting stamps or marbles or whatever, except that it's online. And as Jake said, our lives are increasingly based on the internet. So it's only natural that our collecting habits would find a home in the digital world. And as a mechanism for that, NFTs happen to be pretty convenient. This is quite a story. This young man went from being a street vendor to a digital art vendor, making thousands of dollars. Before we move on specifically to the world of sports and golf, I want to cover a basic question, which is, can you make money from NFTs? The answer is yes, but the only way that works is if you sell an NFT for more than you bought it. In other words, you can certainly invest in NFTs with the idea that you'll flip them on some secondary market down the line, 
But that all depends on whether you think they'll be worth more later than they are right now. And anywhere you read about NFTs, well, any objective outlet at least, you'll read warnings to the effect of, we have no idea what this market is going to do. It's a lot like any cryptocurrency that way, highly unpredictable and pretty risky, especially if you put in a lot of money, a high percentage of your money. But in terms of making money, there are no dividends to be had. You can't buy a sports highlight, for instance, and make money anytime it's shown or anything like that. There is one exception. It's not common practice yet, but there's no reason an artist or a sports league or whoever can't transfer copyright and intellectual property rights to the person who buys the NFT. But for the most part, not only are there no legal rights associated with most NFTs, but there's not even any restriction that the seller can't make another NFT referencing the identical work and then selling that one. And even if IP, intellectual property rights, are transferred to the buyer, there's a question of how the hell do you enforce this? Not only are the U.S. Congress and other governing bodies far behind the times on regulating digital currency and the blockchain, but this is the internet where it's pretty simple to steal anything, particularly an image or a video file or an audio file. There is something out there called right-clicker mentality, which refers to the practice of literally right-clicking on an image that's supposedly protected by an NFT, saving the image, and then keeping it or sending it wherever. This kind of behavior obviously is disparaged by NFT owners, but it does show how simple it is. If I want to go steal a famous painting that's physically owned by another person, I am going to have to stage a robbery. And not only is that dangerous for me, but if I'm caught, there are specific long-standing laws to deal with me, to deal with the crime I committed. With an NFT, stealing, quote-unquote, is as easy as one click, and good luck catching the person who did it. One Australian programmer, Jeffrey Huntley, created a torrent file with 19 terabytes of supposedly protected NFT art, stuff that people paid a ton of money for. They called it the billion-dollar torrent, though that might be overstating it slightly. But it was certainly the millions, and it took him and his colleagues about three days to make. Now, literally anyone with a little bit of computer savvy can go download that for free. And not only is Jeffrey Huntley not in jail, but he frames it as an art project and has given plenty of interviews about it. Here's what he had to say. Quote, NFT is just a hyperlink to an image. That's why you can right-click Save As because they are standard images. The image is not stored in the blockchain. The image is not stored in the blockchain contract. As Web 2.0 web hosts are known to go offline, this handy torrent contains all of the NFTs so that future generations can study this. End quote. So that's kind of a troll, obviously, and what he's saying is controversial, but it is worth noting. And one thing you could say is that, okay, let's say you own a real physical painting. That doesn't stop anyone from making copies and selling those. Those copies are, you know, you can find them at any museum. The original is still valuable, obviously. How is this any different? And the counter-argument is that, sure, there are copies but I have the only one actually painted by the artist. With digital images, there's very little to distinguish the original from the copy. In fact, it's the same file. The big difference, and maybe the only one, is that someone paid for the original and got a digital certificate for his or her trouble. But maybe that's not all it is. Mike Weeksner is involved in a pretty interesting project. It's called Pocketful of Quarters. He is the CEO and founder and this is in the realm of video games. And what he's doing is helping video games make the transition from servers to the blockchain. And a big part of what he's doing with NFTs 
is moving in-game currency and assets onto the blockchain so that it can be transferred from one game to another, which you can't do in many cases right now. I think there's a bit of irony there, using a non-fungible token to change non-fungible assets into fungible ones. An example Weeksner used when we talked is, okay, let's say you're going from a Madden game to Fortnite. Those are not similar games. You might, you know, transfer an avatar over or something like that. But what if you could sell everything you'd accumulated in Madden on some kind of secondary market or maybe within the game itself for some kind of currency that you could then take into Fortnite to get a jump start on that game? Pretty intriguing. But there was another possibility I found even more interesting. I'll let Mike explain. You know, if you think about, uh, you know, the sports uh, games, they come out with new seasons and they force people to buy effectively the same game over and over again to get the the new the players with the new with the new stats. Uh, from the players' perspective, they have the, the, this problem is that they they get they, they can leave uh, you know Madden twenty twenty one and go to Madden twenty twenty three, but to, they have to give up every one hundred percent of everything and start and start over again. And so many of them don't do that. They just keep on playing, you know, the old game, you know, what I think will, you know, even the publishers and the players will be aligned if they could sell those items back and get 10 cents on the dollar. Now they could have a thousand dollars worth of things. They start off with a hundred dollars. And now probably over the course of the next year or two, they'll spend more money now because they're playing with their friends in the new, in the new game. So that gives you an example of something where the NFT has great utility And you can start to see how it might be outside of the boom and bust cycle of crypto in general. It's not there yet. Mike had a lot of good perspective on this. The format of this podcast means we can only hear so much from him. But I did bring up this topic that we just discussed. Okay, help me wrap my mind around ownership of NFT art, a highlight video, a sports photograph that can just be right-clicked and duplicated, stolen, whatever. And I thought his answer on this one was pretty great. It goes down to the definition of like, what does it mean to own something? And uh, interestingly, the definition is uh, the power to exclude other people. So at some level, the um, right clicking and saving, you don't have any way to prevent people from doing that. So in that sense, you don't own anything with an NFT. But what's happening is that the you know as the metaverse gets built, and even in the real world with legal structures, as people start to respect the rights that are embedded in an NFT, all of a sudden, you know, you may enter your favorite world and they won't let you put that image up on the wall because you don't have the the NFT and the creator of the environment will enforce the rules and, you know, give you the ability to exclude other people from, you know, from this, that, or the, or the other thing. So I think it's a, it's really an evolving, uh, you know, an, an evolving notion. Isn't that interesting? That's basically saying we are increasingly living in the digital world And this may be the Wild West right now, but as our lives are conducted online more and more, it's going to matter. And the laws are going to catch up with that. And pretty soon, these NFTs could be a lot more important than you think. And Mike would argue that as we get there, there really isn't going to be much of a difference between owning a physical object versus owning an NFT of a digital object. The power of the NFT is that if I own the NFT, you don't own the NFT. So if you, for whatever reason, you want this NFT, you have to convince me to give it to you or you don't have it. So just as people make fake pictures of Monet paintings or, you know, they, they, uh, you know, you could make a Xerox copy of a ticket to a game that you went to, it wouldn't change the fact that you didn't have the real thing. And that is, 
you know, what you were saying, you should put yourself on a podcast. It's like, what as people start to become emotionally attached to the NFTs in the same way they do these other artifacts, then the fact that other people can copy it or distribute it only becomes a marketing thing that makes the actual original more, more valuable. Basically, beauty, or perhaps authenticity, is in the eye of the beholder. So, is it possible to be cynical about NFTs in general? Yes. But that doesn't stop people from buying them, particularly in the world of sports. Because basketball cards are two-dimensional, motionless, and kind of old-fashioned, they wanted to capitalize on what blockchain would let them do, and they're doing these things called moments. Each one is unique or rare, just like a basketball card is unique or rare, and they've proved wildly popular. A CBS News report from the fall of 2021 noted that the entire NFT market, sports and otherwise, was worth about $14 billion. And at one point in early 2021, sales of sports NFTs alone reached $138 million. A company like Dapper Labs, which has a deal with both the NFL and the NBA to be their official NFT marketplace, watched their sales nearly double to $700 million in 2020. While another company called Candy Digital, which works with MLB, among others, was valued then at $1.5 billion. The bad news is that to read that article, and again it was in November of 2021, is almost like reading an ancient artifact about how life used to be. By May 2022, just a few months later, the Wall Street Journal was reporting that the NFT market had collapsed and the numbers were staggering. Daily sales had fallen by 92%. This happened around the same time as the cryptocurrency crash, which is no surprise. And by September of this year, on one of the biggest NFT marketplaces, OpenSea, the daily trading volume was down 99%. Here's how stark it got. The value of the NFT market writ large in early 2022 had risen to $17 billion. By September, the blockchain analytics firm Dune Analytics had it around $470 million staggering 97% drop. Now, that doesn't mean it's dead forever. Doesn't mean it can't rebound and fulfill some of the prophecies of the heyday when people were predicting hundreds of billions of dollars of value as soon as 2025, 2030. Could absolutely still get there. We've seen crypto rebound before. But it doesn't seem good, does it? Publicly, and you probably noticed this even if you're not deep into the blockchain, there was a lot of mockery to go around. Bill Gates said NFTs were based on the greater fool theory, which more or less means that its value only derived from the availability of, well, more fools who were willing to invest, kind of like a Ponzi scheme. And that wasn't the only bad PR. Crypto and NFTs have been under fire for a long time due to environmental concerns stemming from the high energy usage of blockchain transactions. And it turns out that despite the greater security promised, there are still examples of fraud and plagiarism and other issues that plague real-world art and memorabilia spaces. So, all that is stuff to keep in mind as we dive into the world of sports and NFTs, and golf specifically. The NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, they all got into the NFT game a bit quicker than the PGA Tour. The NFL and NBA are with Dapper Labs, MLB is with Candy Digital, as we said, 
If you go to candy.mlb.com right now, you can get a sense of what the baseball NFT market looks like. There are things like the Double Play of the Day bundle. It costs $27.50. Bryce Harper's Go Ahead NLCS Home Run costs $15. You can buy icons of Houston Astros players in honor of them winning the ALCS, stuff like that. For $100, you can get a Steel Edition icon of various MLB stadiums. For $250, you can get a bronze bust of Lou Gehrig. Having researched this and spent, you know, much of my life online, I get it, but I can see how it would be confusing for many people. Regardless, the PGA Tour's involvement with NFTs actually began around 2019 with Dapper Labs, and it began before Dapper was a partner with the NBA and NFL. The original idea, as talks kind of progressed, was pretty basic. They thought maybe NFTs uh, were these sort of you know, on-site collectibles we could have, could maybe give kids something to do while their parents watch the golf. They could run from the tee boxes to the pavilions, collecting these digital tokens in their digital wallets. And discussions actually progressed pretty far, but then the pandemic hit. A lot of things got put on the back burner and the NFT deal was pretty much stopped in its tracks. But actually the pandemic, as we know, was very good for NFTs. Being at home and isolated and maybe a little bored, people started to become very interested in collecting, and NFTs were a big beneficiary of that. So as we said, you know, the market boomed in 2020, and the tour was once again interested. This time, eventually, they began talking to a company called Autograph that was co-founded by Tom Brady. Tiger Woods sits on the advisory board. That didn't hurt. And it was very recently, the week of the President's Cup this past September, that they announced a deal. Autograph will launch the PGA Tours NFT marketplace in early 2023, which will offer collectible video highlights of memorable shots from PGA Tour players. Autograph's video NFTs will now integrate data from the PGA Tour shot link system, such as tracking a shot's ball speed, club head speed, curvature, and other shot tracing graphics that fans see on broadcast. Pretty soon, the tour is going to have its own NFT marketplace. I spoke with Tom Jeffs, Vice President of Media and Business Development at the PGA Tour, and he offered some insight on the timeline here. So we're still working through the details. Um, I mean, we we just announced a partnership. Uh, it's probably like a little bit of a month ago now. We had a big on-site with the autograph team here, the creative team, their engineering team. Um, we now have a development roadmap in place that we'll be reaching out to like super fans of the tour um, with the idea of having a fully public product uh, available by August. So the idea is late summer, early fall, pending a few details, but it's definitely happening. And it's going to be a little different from other sports leagues. For example, the NBA, because they have a players union that can collectively bargain, the deal there is that any NFTs they sell a portion of the profits go toward the players, but it's distributed evenly. So, you know, clearly LeBron James is going to fetch more than Duke alum and current New York Nick Cam Reddish, but they are going to make the same amount of money from any NFTs the NBA sells. The tour model is going to work differently, and it's kind of in line with recent changes we have seen in the payout structure, where they are very much taking care of their best players, probably to some degree to avoid defections. Here is Tom Jeffs with the lowdown on what that structure is going to look like. So can't dive too much into detail, but like I can say from a high level, we are uh, different from the way that the other major leagues and the corresponding players associations share group license revenue. Um, so the tour for this particular use case, um, 
basically this was something that the commissioner had said to the team that was working on this project was this should be the most player centric program in sport around NFTs and collectibles. And it was an opportunity for the tour to bring to bear its full breadth of IP in terms of like tournament marks, scoring data, video competition data, et cetera. And uh, allow the players to be able, be able to earn royalties off of that um, for the content that they're included in. So the, the program does have uh, participation payments. So being a part of the program, you are compensated for just being in the program based on your prior year's FedEx Cup finish. But then the majority of the funds of the program are distributed on a pro rata basis based on actual um, sales volume. So the idea being is like guys who are driving the, the lion's share of fan interest will be compensated correspondingly. We mentioned before a big part of Phil Mickelson's complaints during the live drama was around media rights. Now, the tour is still going to own all those media rights for everything that happens on site during a tournament. That includes photos, highlights, that kind of thing. But you can kind of see them anticipating some Mickelson-like arguments from players in regards to NFTs. And paying the best players, the most engaging players more, feels at least partly like a kind of preemptive strike something designed to make sure they don't face more potential criticism on that front. A good way to keep the best players satisfied is to pay them, right? It's interesting to note that the players can launch their own NFTs, but that's for off-course stuff. Some have done it already. Tiger Woods, Colin Morikawa did it with Autograph. Bryson DeChambeau did it to mixed results. DeChambeau was actually the first. He put out these digital trading cards in March 2021, on OpenSea, which is a trading platform, a pretty big one. He offered 73 of these cards, and 10 of them sold for a total of $64,000. It's nothing to sneeze at, I suppose, but not a very big total in this world. His agent, Brent Falkoff, told Golf Digest that, quote, what it shows is that golf is still a niche sport, end quote. Tiger Woods also released 10,000 digital image NFTs. He did it with Autograph, as we said, with prices ranging from $12 to $1,500. They include statues, paintings, things like that. But the key distinction here is that when players launch their own NFTs independently, which they are welcome to do, even if they decide to participate in the tourist program when that launches, it has to be stuff that is outside of PGA Tour events. They can't sell their highlights from the Travelers Championship, for instance. They can sell a photo of them at their home course or something to that effect. They can sell artwork but not any highlights or tournament photos or anything that the PGA Tour owns. The interesting thing about the PGA Tour's deal with Autograph is that discussion started during the boom time, but by the time the deal was announced, the NFT market had collapsed. Again, one collapse is not the end of the world with the blockchain. There are boom and bust cycles. But I did ask Jeff whether he was still optimistic. You assume he is. The deal would probably not have gone through otherwise. But here's what he said. The the winters and the boom times of cryptos will, will continue for a period of volatility as there's just a broader economic reset in terms of like what is going on with inflation, how does that impact the markets, how does it impact consumer spending, et cetera. Like, you know, NFTs and crypto are not immune to that by any stretch of the terms. But what this is, is a truly foundational shift from a technology perspective uh, that enables new engagements and interactions between um, 
you know, fans and things that they care about. And we're just starting to scratch the surface of like what's real compelling things that we can do leveraging this technology. That's not just a replacement for PSA grading a trading card to say that, you know, this Tom Brady rookie card is a nine out of 10 and, you know, is released in 1995 and et cetera, et cetera. What Jess is getting at there is a key point. And maybe one of the advantages of an NFT is that you can tie this in not just with a digital collectible, which arguably is harder to understand than a physical collectible, but you can package the images or highlights or whatever with actual real life benefits. And that's the kind of thing that can be really appealing to a fan, I think, especially the really big, really obsessed fans. Here's Jeff's one more time giving an example of what that could look like. He starts with a kind of technical explanation, but then he gets into how it would work practically. I love it. Let's get into the nitty gritty. The, um, so basically it comes down to the metadata that's associated with the NFT and being able to validate what metadata is in a given user's crypto wallet. So if you own the Scotty Scheffler NFT, there's going to be metadata associated with it. That's going to have both his natural language name, Scotty Scheffler. It's going to have, uh, other distinctive characteristics. So he'll have a player ID that's associated with him. So Scotty Scheffler equals player ID one, two, three, four, five. And then what we're able to do is say, we can validate, um, or, or, or if users link their crypto wallets to our forthcoming platform, we're able to say like, all right, there's X number of wallets that are linked to the platform of those wallets. This select group of users has a NFT that has this player ID in it, which is Scotty Scheffler. Scotty, if you would like to do something specific to those for those users, like after your most recent win, send them like a personalized, like, hey, thanks guys for always supporting me. You know, so excited to have one waste manager, you know, the WM Phoenix Open and playoff. Um, you know, thanks for being my, my biggest supporters. Love to see you guys out on course sometime. We can send that content just to those who have his NFT in their wallet. And that's just like, that's a very simple use case to start with but like you can just see how that can kind of grow from there which would be then like to your point a meet and greet potentially like further down the line later on in the season in short as jess put it you can look at nfts in this context not as a financial asset but potentially as something that brings people closer to what they love dylan rosenblatt is the co-founder and ceo at autograph and i wonder if you'll be impressed by his client list uh, Tom Brady, Tiger Woods, Wayne Gretzky, Naomi Osaka, Simone Biles, um, the uh, Devin Booker, James Harden, Rafael Nadal, uh, Saw, uh, and a lot of other Lionsgate properties we're working on. We real uh, AEG for some of their music festivals. We really work across sports, entertainment, and culture to find what we believe are the most interesting properties to build communities with and for. Not bad. Dylan called working with Tiger Woods, quote, one of the most special experiences of his life. And the fact that he had that partnership, again, Woods was on the advisory board at Autograph, was a big deal in convincing the PGA Tour to work with him. Autograph was only started in 2021. It's still very new. And Dylan had a funny way of putting it. He said he went from the boy who ran around crying NFTs to a full-fledged business during COVID. And as he told it, it was a little bit of work, even with Tiger on his side, to convince the PGA Tour that they were the right people for the job. The PGA conversation has been going on for, I mean, six plus months at least. It's been um, a long conversation. 
just because I really wanted to prove to them that we were in this for the same and right reasons, do something special for the players, do something special for the fan base and do something that we truly believe can move the game forward in the right direction. I know that's a big promise and I don't take the responsibility lightly at all, but for us to build something that can supplement the active playing golf or watching golf to give you a collecting gamified experience, whatever it comes out to be, because we're a bit early in our product development life cycle is really the goal. And ultimately get people closer to the game that we're all just about obsessed with. He pointed to the actual signatures that they have on some of the NFT products, which, you know, befit the name of the company autograph as something that sets them apart. And if you go on their website, now you can see those products for tiger woods, Colin Morikawa, and a lot of the non-golfers he mentioned as well. Rosenblatt said he is not concerned about the demographics of golf, which traditionally has an older fan base, and actually thinks there's a lot more youth enthusiasm than people give it credit for. So, he's optimistic. And getting beyond Autograph and the PGA Tour, there are these slight indications elsewhere that NFTs could mean more in the golf world than just digital collectibles. A good example is LinksDAO. That's Lynx D-A-O. The D-A-O stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And their mission is to literally buy a golf course. A good one, too. They want to get a top 100 course. The idea is to crowdfund it and pay for the course with cryptocurrency with the, quote, members making every big decision. Like an elite course run the same way as your grocery store co-op, maybe. And now that may sound like a complete fantasy, but when they released their first NFTs, which conferred the right to buy a future membership along with some other perks last January, they sold out in 24 hours to the tune of about $11 million in the cryptocurrency Ethereum. That's going to be less now, of course. This was before the big crash, but still, that's a lot of money for something that raises more questions than answers. At the time, the founders said the goal was to buy a course by mid-2022. That has not happened. They have a checkmark system on their website, and the last box is to buy a course. That one is still unchecked. But whether it ever happens or not, and I certainly have no idea, it is at least a vision of other uses for NFTs and golf. So here we are at the end, and the one question that persists is, where is all of this going? Is the crash permanent? Have NFTs been exposed? Is the concept showing cracks? Or... Is this just a temporary setback? I want to go back to Dylan Rosenblatt, who had the optimistic viewpoint. This cycle that we're in has happened before in crypto, and I believe is following the cycle that most new innovations follow, and specifically tech innovations. When the automobile came out, people called it a toy. When the computer came out, people thought it was just going to be used for games, for personal consumption. When NFTs came out, people used them for fun purposes and cartoons, and they became a toy and a luxury and a novelty. But now I think people realized that might not be what I want. That might not be the long-term use for these. And that's why we deeply believe with projects like we're building for the PGA, we'll be able to, or for the, for the tour, I apologize. We'll be able to actually build out something that has real meaning and value. So long, long story short, where I think we are in the cycle is where most tech innovations land. The crypto market has been here before, and it's just going to take time for companies like hopefully ours to push the space forward, drive real meaning that millions of people are going to want. And then it'll be back just like uh, all markets generally are. Any investment requires a leap of faith 
And with NFTs, you are betting on what Dylan Rosenblatt says here, which is that this stuff is inevitable. It's going to be huge again. And everything that's happening now is perfectly normal. Is he right? I'm not sure anybody actually knows the answer to that question because all of this stuff is pretty unprecedented. It's uncharted territory, and that comes with excitement, and it comes with ridicule sometimes, and it comes with fear. Will the PGA Tour benefit from dipping its toes into this market? Will NFTs enhance the fan experience? Will golf itself be improved by the association? That's the big question. And though it's not satisfying to admit, it's probably going to be years before we have the big answer. In the meantime, we will watch and we'll talk and some people will take big risks and some people won't. And one side will be kicking itself when this stuff either soars to the moon or crashes into the earth. Can't tell you who's who, though. And that's why they call it speculation. Local Knowledge is produced by Greg Gottfried, with editorial guidance from Sam Weinman. Our music today was Cut a Rug by Robert John. You can subscribe to Local Knowledge wherever you get podcasts, and we welcome a review as well. Also, for expert picks, betting advice, and insights into the action on the PGA Tour, please also make sure you subscribe to The Loop Podcast. <laughs>